We're in the the third week of of a series of Advent, which is the the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, Christmas is is coming, and yet it's already here. Amen? And uh, it's this whole idea of what we celebrate for Christmas, right? Not just, you know, Santa and presents and and family time and all of that, but it's the, the coming of the King, the Messiah, God with us, fully man and fully God here. Amen? Emmanuel, Christ with us. And so that's what we celebrate. Um, and today I want to talk about something that the Lord's just been kind of putting on my heart this past week. And it's this whole idea of greatness in God's eyes as we talk about greatness and, or good news of great joy. What does that mean to have greatness in God's eyes? And, um, and, and I, was, I was kind of going through like when we think of great people in the Bible, like great characters in the Bible, throw out some names, some, some people of greatness that you, that Moses, yeah, he's kind of known as like this man of greatness. Who else? Joseph, yes. David, what was that one? Joshua, Abraham, yeah, we got all these big names, right? The fathers of the faith, right? These, these amazing men of greatness and, uh, and renown and all of that. So I was... As I was going through this, and I'm glad you didn't say the person that I'm thinking of, because there's one person in Scripture that is, is said to be the greatest man, now this is high praise, the greatest man to ever be born of a woman. Now that's, for, just in case you're confused, that's most of us, right? We're, most of us have been born of a woman. There might be a few. But um, greatest man ever to be born of a woman um, is, is pretty high praise, both the angel Gabriel and Jesus himself say this about this person, uh, and none of you mentioned his name. Luke chapter 1, verse 14 says this, the angel Gabriel speaking and says, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. How many, who do you think he's talking about? Yeah, John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? Or are you thinking like, oh, it's Luke 1, maybe talking about Jesus, because you'd think, I didn't say Jesus, and he's the answer to every Sunday school answer, you know? So like, uh, he didn't say Jesus, but it's not actually talking about Jesus. He's talking about John the Baptist. This is what Jesus himself, the Messiah, says about John in Luke 7, verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. So, an angelic messenger from heaven and the Messiah Jesus Christ say this about John the Baptist. And I don't know about you, but when, you know, when I'm talking about greatness and, and naming off some, some people of greatness, don't worry, you didn't just get it wrong, like, like first service got it wrong too, right? But, but many of us, we don't quite know what to do with John the Baptist. Um, most of us would say, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. But like, we don't really know what to do with him because he's kind of this like, anomaly in the Bible. Like we don't, he's, he's a strange guy. He kind of, he kind of gets pushed to the side, kind of like that, that odd, unkempt, loud uncle that you're about to spend the holidays with. Like you just don't quite know what to do with him. He's a little, he's a little just wild. And uh, if you're not familiar with John the Baptist, let me just give you like a little recap of, uh, of who he is. Um, he's actually like Jesus's second cousin. I'm not good with that stuff, but it, it's Jesus's mom, Mary and, and John's mom, Elizabeth, are, are cousins, so they would be second cousins. Is that right? Not first removed or anything like that, right? Oh, you guys, you guys, you guys got this. Um, he's a hippy-dippy granola head. Um, 
he'd, he'd probably, you know, be, be, he'd hang out in Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine. And uh, one of the Portlands, um, he wore camel's hair for clothing, which is probably itchy. And he, weigh, and he ate locusts and honey is what the Bible says. Um, he lived out in the wilderness, but he wasn't a hermit because people from all around, the rich, the poor, the religious, the irreligious, everyone came out to hear this wild man preach. I mean, people were just drawn to him, um, drawn to his message. And he was telling people, he really had one life message, which was this, get ready, get right with God, repent, turn away from your sin, the Messiah is coming, the Savior of the world. That was his life message. Like that was, I mean, if he had anything, any sermon in his back pocket, that was, that was his message that he would always be preaching. And then he starts baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is kind of why they call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He's known for, for baptizing people. Now, here's the important thing to know about John. He's, he's not like an athlete. He's not a musician. He's not a politician. He's not wealthy. Um, I, I would guess from his description, he's probably not very good looking. Um, he didn't travel very far in his lifetime. He never marries. He has no kids, and he ends up dying alone in jail. There's a thumbnail sketch of John the Baptist. Like, like it, when I look at John the Baptist's life, they're, they're the things that I judge greatness by are not normally there. And it kind of shows that, like, as we talk about greatness and people that are, that are great, John the Baptist isn't even on the top 10 of most people's lists. Because the things that we consider and we look to when we think of somebody who's great um, isn't even there. And yet Jesus says, I tell you, among these, those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And it's interesting to me I won't speak for you, but it's interesting to me that I have such a different evaluation of John the Baptist than God does. As I just look at, as I look at his life, because what I think I do, I think what probably our culture does a lot of is this, that we superimpose an evaluation of greatness on somebody's life, and we put a value on them based upon values that God doesn't value. In other words, we'll take a look at our own life or we'll take a look at the life of somebody else and we make an evaluation of greatness based upon values that God doesn't necessarily value. Things that, things that seem important. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you do this every time you look in the mirror like you did it this morning and you're like, I got no greatness. I, my, it's a bad hair day. I'm not even close to greatness, right? It isn't even a goodness day. It's not even, it's not even a close day, right? And so, or, you, or you, you compare yourself to other people, or you compare yourself to the highlight reel of somebody else's Instagram, you know, because they have 15 filters, and they always look good in a selfie, and they always seem to have the perfect life. And I can never even get my kids to, to just shut up and sit down and sit, so that we can take a nice picture, so that we can finally, hopefully, have a highlight reel. This is the reality that I think many of us live in. We, we, we look around and, and what, how we measure greatness is not really found in us or it's it, the things that we value aren't things that, that God really values because I think he's got a different measuring stick for greatness. It's seen in John the Baptist. I mean, if Jesus says this about him, then what I want to talk about for the next few minutes is this. What is it that we can find out about John the Baptist's life that made him great? What is it? Because I'm, I'm looking at it from like a, the world's perspective and saying like, I don't really see anything that I would consider making him a great, a great person. But for some reason, Jesus says, out of all the people that are born of a woman, John the Baptist is the greatest. And this is what he says. There's this little caveat at the end of it. Jesus is, is 
notorious for saying these, these crazy statements like this. He says, I tell you, among those born of a woman, there's no one greater than John. And then he says, adds on in the same sentence, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So there's like, yeah, he's the best, no one's better than him, he's the greatest, and yet the lowest person in the kingdom of God is greater than John. So, so what do we do with that? Like, what, 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 what is it that he's trying to communicate? I would say this, that he, it's the, your level of humility will determine your level of greatness. Your level of humility will determine your level of greatness. And uh, I, I don't know a more humble person than John the Baptist. As we're going to just look at his life for just a moment, like, I, I, I really, I can't see somebody who was more humble than him as when we look at, at Bible characters. Like, I mean, he knew who he was, and it was this knowing of who he was that allowed him to lay aside who he wasn't. And if I were to speak one thing over, over our current, even our Christian generation that we're in right now, is that so often we can't lay aside what we're not because we're so busy not focusing on who we are and f- figuring out who, who this is. We're figuring out how we can be like somebody else. Well, I wish I looked like her. I wish I had hair like that. Or I, I wish I had this. Or I wish, I wish my kids did this or did that. Or wish my life looked like this. And very rarely do we focus and just say, God, what is it that I'm about? What is it that I'm called to? And let me lay aside the stuff that I'm not. And let's focus on who I am. Amen? This is what John knew best. And, and honestly, this dude, like, he can, his job when he came on the scene and he knew this was to continually work himself out of a job. That was his job. I mean, that's, that's a difficult job. And you're, the, the first, number one, and if you're taking notes, it says this, humility helped him understand who he was and who he was not. Humility helped him understand who he was and who he was not. If you, uh, if you turn with me to John chapter 1, uh, I want to I read through this, and I, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, of a backstory leading up to where we're going to pick up in John 1, verse 19. But um, it's important for you to understand this. John the Baptist was... Um, he was kind of becoming a spectacle out in the wilderness. Like people were, were coming from all around to get baptized by him, you know, in the Jordan River. And, and he's, just, he's just this wild man, this wild preacher with one message. And so the religious leaders of the day started getting a little jiggy about him. They got a little worried about this popular, uneducated, unordained guy in a Jedi robe dunking people in the river. Like they were kind of like, I don't really know what to do with him. And so that would draw some concern. They're like, people are going out, they're coming back saying, I'm absolutely, like, it changed my life. Whatever happened out there in the wilderness, in the Jordan, listening to John changed my life. You need to go too. So people were coming back and forth, back and forth and following John. He was was getting very popular. Now, it's important for us to understand this. John didn't invent baptism. Sometimes we think that, like, you're like, well, I mean, John the Baptist, he's known as John the Baptist, therefore he was the first person to start baptizing, and then Jesus got baptized by him, and then so on and so on and so on, and now I just got baptized. Like, but John didn't actually invent baptism. In fact, it was customary for, from the time of Abraham on, for rabbis to baptize Gentiles when they wanted to become Jews, when they wanted to, to, to come into Judaism, it, it was customary for them to, for them to 
you know, get baptized. They were called proselytes. These were people who there were really only one way to become a Jew, which was to be born as a Jew. You were God's chosen people. The other way was that you would be a proselyte, a Gentile, a non-Jew that would want to come in and say, I want to, Yahweh, to be my God and I want to become a Jew. And so there were like four different things that they had to do. One of them was they had to say, okay, the, the, the Bible, the, the Torah, the five, first five books of the Bible, this, this is the word of God for me. I'm submitting to the word of God and I will live according to God's law. That was the first thing, obviously. Then they'd make a sacrifice or a burnt offering, which was how Jews, you know, were, were able to get forgiveness for their sins. And so they'd make this burnt offering sacrifice. If you were a guy, you'd have to get circumcised. Not good news. And then um, the, the fourth thing was that you'd get baptized. And baptism all throughout was, was this symbolism of cleansing and a new beginning. It was a symbol of like, you were a Gentile, you were a non-Jew, now you're coming in and you're asking, can I, I want to, for Yahweh to be my God, to be one of God's chosen people. And so they would get baptized and it would symbolize a new beginning. So John didn't invent baptizing. Baptizing non-Jews was a common practice. But John was causing a ruckus because he was baptizing Jews. He was baptizing anyone. He was, he, he was just out there preaching like a wild man to anybody who was listening. So he didn't have like this one thing. was like, okay, all you Jews get together. I got one message for you, and this is your message. And then all you Gentiles, and you like hodgepodge of mutts, all right, here you go. Here's your message for you. He was just preaching one message to all people, Jews, Gentiles alike, he was preaching the same thing and he was telling them, y'all need, y'all need a Messiah. Y'all need to repent and to be baptized. So he was telling good, moral, religious, law-abiding, Sabbath-keeping, tithing 10-percenter Jews that they needed to repent and to be baptized. This is new. This is part of the reason why John got a little bit of extra attention. He was telling sinners, hey, get prepared, repent, be baptized, the Messiah is coming. Hey, good people, repent, be baptized, the Messiah is coming. Hey, religious folk, repent and be baptized because the Messiah is coming. And I would say that if there's anything that we struggle with, even in our current society, is this reality that we're all on the same playing field when it comes to the, our need of a Messiah. Because I think if we scratch a little bit below the surface, it's this whole idea, well, like, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I go to church, and I give, and I do all of these things, and so therefore, I'm kind of like, I'm earning my way into grace. And John's out there in the wilderness just yelling to anybody, good, bad, Jew, non-Jew, sinner, Whatever. Hey, y'all need, need a Messiah. That's his one message. Get ready, prepare, repent, get baptized. The Messiah is coming. So we're going to pick up in John 1 verse 19. Now here's the thing. The religious folk of the day did what religious folk do. They made a committee. Okay, so that's important to know. So they made a committee because that's how we solve things. You know, we, we make committees, and so we need a committee. And so they not only made a committee, they went like uber religious, and they made a subcommittee to the committee. You ever been a part of a subcommittee? They make a subcommittee to a committee and send the subcommittee to the committee to go ask John questions. We're, you, you go, we're sending you out, come back and report to us, Right? 
Because what do we know to be true? If we want to avoid truth about ourselves, we always look for something that we can criticize in the preacher. Isn't it true? I can find something wrong with anyone if I don't like what they have to say. Right? Absolutely. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, but, here, okay, but here's the thing. Sometimes God's truth comes in crappy packages, doesn't it? Sometimes the, the, the best presents I've received actually were like in a gift bag. You know, like, here you go. It's like, oh my, this is absolutely amazing. And, and it's important for us to realize as Christians to understand that we cannot discount God's truth just because we don't like the package it came in. <laughs> Amen? Okay, I'll just go, go Jesus. Yeah, we'll keep moving. Okay, so... This is what happens in verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders, the committee in Jerusalem, sent priests and Levites, the subcommittee, to ask him who he was. Verse 20, he says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah, is what he says. I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Now, just pause here for a second. I want you to just like think about this. John was one of the most popular religious leaders of the day. He had a huge following of people from all over the place. They were staying, coming, going, sending people back and forth. And he has the religious leaders of the day, the subcommittee to the committee, asking him who he was. Like he was someone big. Are you the Messiah? Are you, are you, are you? And the temptation, I want you to get this, the temptation in each one of these questions is to answer yes. Think about it. Uh, you know, you got a lot of people around. You're just dunking people. Next, dunking them. Next, dunking them. And the subcommittee comes up from the committee and they're like, are you the Messiah? And you're like, I mean, no, no, I'm not the, I'm not the Messiah. Well, are you, are you Elijah? <laughs> Who could know? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm a pretty big deal. Okay. Well, are you, are you the prophet? <laughs> You tell me. You know, I mean, I'm looking pretty good here. I got lots of people. I know. Next, dunk. Next, dunk. Right? I mean, like, he, this is the temptation. And, and, and listen, John's a whole lot better than, than the rest of us. Like, he, he knows who he is and who he's not. And it's because of humility that he answers no to each one of these questions. And the subcommittee comes up and they ask him. They say, finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer so that we can take it back to the committee. What do you say about yourself? And what he says is startling to me. His humility is staggering. John replies in the words of, the, of Isaiah the prophet, he says, I'm the voice. I'm just, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Um, I'm not the Messiah. Uh, I'm not Elijah. I'm, I'm, I'm not the prophet. I, I'm, I'm the voice. In other words, you're asking the wrong question. Like, don't worry about who I am. Worry about who I'm pointing people towards. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And, and, and if you think it's about me, you're missing the point, and you're not actually listening to the message. Number two is this, that greatness is not about what you do, but who you do it for. Greatness is not about what you do, 
It's about who you do it for. And, and, and this is what John knew all too well. He knew who he was, and he knew who he was doing it for. And he, it's not that he didn't, like, he thought he was nothing. It's not like he was like, oh, I'm just a voice, you know. Like, no, 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 no. He knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. Humility is not just kind of like thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. And that's what John knew. He knew humility. He, he knew greatness. And he says, he was pointing back to a scripture in Isaiah chapter 40. He says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. This is who he says he is. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Catch this. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Don't miss this. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What he's saying here is this. My job is to level the playing field. (laughs) I'm raising up those who are low and think that they're nothing, and those that think that they're high, I'm cutting them down to size. My message is for the Jew as well as it is for the Gentile, for the rich as well as it is for the poor, for, for, for the sinner as much as it is for the, for, the, for the good person. My message goes to each person equally. Why? Because our need for a Savior is equal. Whether you've been in this thing for like 20, 30, 40, 50 years as a Christian, I just want you to know your need for a Savior today is just as great as it was when you were steeped in sin. Our need for us, and this is what John, this is what I love about John's message is that he's saying, like, sinners, repent, prepare. The Messiah is here. Good people, repent, prepare. Religious people, repent, prepare. The Messiah is coming. And that we're all on the same playing field because our need for the Savior is the same. We all have equal need for a Messiah. And then the remainder of John's ministry is him working himself out of a job, essentially. Like, he's known for saying things like, like, I must decrease so that he must increase. Like, because he's trying to say, you know what, as Jesus comes out of the scene, I'm going to kind of back away so that Jesus can be increased in this. And that sounds all nice and good. And we're like, man, you should like totally tweet that, John. Like, that sounds awesome. Like, you put that on a mug, baby, and that's, that, it looks so great. Until you're the one that has to do it. <laughs> Until you're the one that has to get the downgrade. I I don't know about you, like, I upgraded everything I can. I just went, like, I don't know, it was like last week, I went and and bought some more aluminum foil. And I got the heavy-duty stuff. (laughs) Why? Because I deserve it. I can't be messing around with all that stuff. It tears too easy, right? I just upgrade in everything I do. Why? Because that's what we, that's what we expect. And when, we, when we're talking about like serving the Lord, we, all, all I want to think about is promotion, not demotion, right? I, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to hear about like curses. I want to hear about blessings. Those are, that's what I kind of look at when I'm, when I'm thinking about Jesus and, and serving him. I think about bigger, not, not smaller, better, not worse, winning, certainly not losing, and, and John, John knows this all too well. And what I find is that, like, humility is a lot like running on a track relay team. I don't know if you've ever done this before. When I was in high school for, like, one year, I ran track. And uh, I, they put me on the second leg, which what I'm told was the, the, the slowest leg of, of the relay. So essentially, like, I'd get to run the second leg. And I'd always get bummed because 
uh, I would never get to cross the finish line, right? Like I, because you only, uh, my job was to essentially just run as fast as these long, lanky legs could take me and then pass the baton off as, as well as I could, knowing that I get to benefit from somebody else's strengths, and if I were to say about humility, if there's anything, it's, it, it's essentially knowing your role. Knowing your role. And John knew his role. He knew it all too well. How do I know this? Because it wasn't just talk. The next few days after this, we're going to stay in, in John chapter 1. The next few days after the subcommittee's interview, they leave. They're taking their, their report back to the committee. And John has one of the craziest weeks of his life. One, in one way, it's the most amazing thing because it's when he, but what he's been preaching about and leading people towards. And in another way, it's got to be one of the most difficult weeks of his life. In verse 29 in John 1, it says the next day, he just was interviewed, just said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just a voice. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him as he's dunking people. And he says, and he stands up and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, don't look at me, look at him. He takes all the focus off of himself and puts it on Jesus. And then the next day, he keeps going, verse 35. The next day, that's, that's day one, day two. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, I want you to see that he was systematically turning over his followers to Jesus. Systematically saying, I'm going to step out of the spotlight and I'm going to point you to the one who is worth it all. And I want you to just kind of crawl into John's life here for a moment with me because this is why he's great, because he was obedient to the calling on his life, even when it cost him what most people find their identities in, their followers. Let me say that again. John was consistent. John continually was obedient, even when it cost him what most people find their identities in, the people that were surrounding him. He still, even in the midst of it, said, look, the Messiah of the world, the Lamb of God. Go. Go follow him. Go follow him. And this has been rolling around in my, in my heart and in my mind all week. And I, and I think it's, it's maybe a question for some of you this morning is this, would you be following God even if nobody around you was? Like, is your obedience to God dependent on his obedience to you? When things aren't going necessarily the way that you had hoped or, or, or friends leave and decide not to follow God anymore, what does that do for you? Does it change your identity? Or do you serve him still? And so often, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because so often I think that we, we focus on, um, you know, things happening that uh, consequences to bad choices. So, you know, as a youth pastor for years, so we say like, well, you don't, don't have premarital sex or else this could happen to you or, or, or don't make this bad choice because here's the consequence that happens here. And what we don't like to talk about is that many times following Jesus, there are consequences to obedience. Choosing to follow Christ sometimes, there are consequences to that. 
Sometimes we think, well, man, if I just follow Jesus and say yes to him, like a, a big pile of money is just going to land in my lap and everything's going to be good and like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look handsome and like all these things are just going to be amazing, right? Like if I just follow Jesus, no, here's the reality. And this is the kind of the thing that we don't like to talk about is sometimes there are consequences to obedience. And one of the consequences that, that we find even with, with John is that, uh, well, I, I think that he understands it even that much better as he ends up in prison. We don't like to talk about consequences to obedience, but here's the reality. Unless you've found your identity in God, you'll be tempted to lose hope in God when he doesn't do things that you wish he would do. Unless you've found your identity in God, you'll be tempted to lose hope in God when he doesn't seem to, when, when your life doesn't look the way that you think it should. The third point is this. Don't allow your unmet expectations to steal your hope in God. Don't allow your unmet expectations to steal your hope in God. And honestly, I don't think anyone better than, than John I, I, than knows this. I think that his understanding of this was the reason why he was called the greatest man born of a woman. He prepares the way, he steps back from the spotlight, and he puts the spotlight on Jesus. And one of the consequences was that he was thrown in prison. And, and I don't know, I'm sure for him, it's like, I never imagined it would, it would turn out this way. As he's preparing the way for the Savior of the world, and yet he finds himself in prison. Matthew chapter 11. This is a test of humility. Verse 2, it says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask. And this is the question that I think rolls around in the hearts of humanity. He says, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? This is the thing that rolls around in us, even as Christ followers, when things aren't going the way that we thought that they would and the outcome of our life doesn't quite match up with what we thought it was going to look like. We have this question, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And so John's hearing about all these great things that Jesus is doing. He's hearing great reports of miracles and all kinds of stuff. Here's the problem. He's hearing it from a jail cell. He's hearing it from, from prison. And these questions got to be rolling around on the inside of him like, like, okay, so I prepare the way of the Messiah for what? To rot in a jail cell? Like, did you forget me? Like, where did I do something wrong? I, 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 did you forget about me, Jesus? I'm not quite sure what's going on here. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're like, everyone around you seems like they're getting blessed, Right? Or, or every, you, you, you hear someone about you know, coming up and giving a testimony and you're like, well, I, God, I hear you and I know you're in this, but I'm just not quite, un I, and, I, and I, I'm so happy for them, Lord. I'm happy for them, but I just don't understand why it is that I'm still in the place that I've been in for quite a while now. Like I believe in you and, and, I, and, I, and I know you're the one, but I just don't quite understand why it is that this hasn't taken effect yet. And I have these questions, I would have these questions like, Jesus, have you not seen the movie? Like, this is the time when you break into prison and you free your sidekick. Like, this is the time when, when I should be free. Like, is this it? I think it relates with Proverbs 13, 12, which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Because if Satan can't steal your calling, he will try to steal your hope. Because if he can steal your hope, then he can make you lose heart. So, we find John in this place, and Jesus pulls this answer. You know when Jesus pulls a Jesus, and he doesn't answer, but he does, but he doesn't? 
This is what he does to John. Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. And then he gives a list. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And it's important for us to realize that when Jesus reports these things and he's like, hey guys, um, send this back to to John, um, all of these things. Jesus is not randomly reminding John of things that are going on. He's not just like, oh, I just, oh yeah, I just, I just, that black guy was blind. He's not anymore. And you were dead and you're not. And then the deaf and you're not. And so like, he wasn't just doing that. He was actually quoting messianic prophecies from John's favorite prophet, Isaiah. That's what he was quoting when when he was responding to John. And and I just want you to know, like, John would have immediately caught these references because John liked to quote Isaiah. And so he was quoting a few of these prophecies. Here, let me give a couple to you. Isaiah 29, verse 18. This is a messianic prophecy. It says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. We see another one in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. It says, then, the eyes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. All of these kind of say the same thing in a different way, like just kind of, you know, emphasize different things. And then we get to this one in Isaiah 61. And this is the same scripture that Jesus, when he was a little boy, went into the temple. You might remember this. And he opens up the scroll and he reads this scripture. And this is, and he quotes it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus says this in front of all of the teachers. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then after this, he drops the mic and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Little boy Jesus. As I was reading through all these prophecies throughout Isaiah, there's a lot of them that repeat themselves, you know, the blind, the deaf, the lame, all these different things, the same in different ways. And there's one thing that I noticed, and I know that John would have noticed this, because if I noticed it, John would notice it too. And when I noticed it, I thought, I cannot help but think that Jesus was intentionally leaving something out in his message to John to send back through his followers, right? So he's sending his followers back with this report, and he mentions all of these, in all of these prophecies, but there's one thing that I notice that he leaves out, one that he blatantly leaves out, and it is this. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Isn't it interesting that a man in prison as he sends back word, the one prophecy that he leaves out from all of these Isaiah prophecies is he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. In place of this, he says in verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, blessed are those who don't turn away from me when I don't measure up to what they think I should be doing. Blessed are those who continue to serve me, even when things aren't looking the way that they were hoping it would. I think that by omission, Jesus was sending John a message. He's kind of saying this, like, and this is tough, but he's saying, I'm the one. 
and you may not be getting out of prison, but I just need you to know I am the one. I am the one who is to come. You don't need to be looking for anybody else. I know, I know that, may, that may stink. I, just need, I am the, I'm still the Messiah. I am still the King of Kings. I am still the Lord of Lords. I am still your all in all. I am still the Lamb of God, the Deliverer, the Healer. I am still the one who is to come. And you don't need to be looking for anybody else. Even though I'm, I may not be doing what you think I should be doing and you're not understanding why it is that you're in the place that you are, let me remind you of what you've been seeing and what you've been hearing, that I am the one who is to come. And you don't need to be looking for anybody else. The last point is this, that when all you see is your today, which is all we get to see, listen to what God says about your tomorrow. Listen to what he says about your tomorrow. Why don't you stand with me? I, 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 I don't know about you, but as I, as I look at John in prison, hearing this report and this blatant, blatantly left out about freedom from the captives, God was speaking to John's today, in other words, to keep his mind and his focus set on why he was there focused on his future. He's saying, I'm the one, I'm the one, but please do not mistake your imprisonment with my identity. And this is the hard part that we find. And this is just real. Can I just be real with you guys? When, when, when you hear testimonies of God doing something in other people's life, you get to this place where you're like, I'm really glad that God, you're doing that for that person. And I'm rejoicing with them because I'm a good Christian and I want to see that happen. But Lord, do you see me? Like, do you see me? Like, where, where I'm at? Like, do you see what's going on in my life right now? Do you see that thing that, that, like, I've been seeking after you and I've been praying and I wish that you would just take that thing away, that you would heal that, you would fix that, that you would, you would work whatever you're doing, that, God, that you would do what I know only you can do. And we find ourselves falling back in faith towards God because things aren't looking the way that we thought that they would. And I just believe for someone that God wants to, to tell you, I know that you may be in a place. That wasn't, that wasn't me this time. Thank you. Here's the thing. I think God wants to tell you today, I am the one. And I know you may be in this place where you, you were hoping it was going to look different. Something should be different here. But you don't need to be looking for anyone else. In other words, please don't mistake your current prognosis with my providence. I'm the one. So, so, so please don't mistake your current checkbook balance with the fact that I'm your provider. I'm the one who is to come. So, so please don't mistake that your, your marital status with the fact that I'm still your Messiah. But God, I was... I was hoping that things were going to look different. Please don't mistake the darkness that sometimes can overshadow you with the fact that I am still the light of the world. Amen? Amen. Don't mistake the fact that, you know, maybe you've got some, you know, unfaithfulness in your life. Confuse you with that I am faithful and true, that I am your Abba Father, that I am your all in all, that I am your, your Yahweh. I am who I say that I am. Don't let your doubts get in the way of the fact that I am who I say that I am. Don't let your, your current circumstances get mixed up with the fact that I am your all-sufficient Savior. 
So I just, want to, I just want to pray over each and every single one of you. I know that some of you stepped out today and said, God, I need you to take my brokenness. I want you to take this, this junk that I've been holding on to. I don't know why, because you've got quite possibly the best exchange program in the universe. But I can give you this, and then you give me love. Love that I don't deserve. Love that overflows. Love that goes down deep. Love that gives me an identity. Jesus, I give you that today. I refuse to allow my current circumstances to dictate my love for you, Jesus. I will, as far as it depends on me, put my hope in you. I will yet praise you. God, I'll praise you, not just until it comes. I'll praise you in the middle of the storm. I'll praise you until it comes. Jesus, I want to praise you as it's coming. I want to prepare the way for God to come. And, and do something in my heart. And so, Jesus, if, that, if that's you right now, I just want you to just, just raise your hand and say, Lord, I, I know that I need to just, I need to give this over to you right now. Just between you and Jesus. Just between you and him. You found that that dream has long been lost. You found that that hope has long been just, just, just gone. And you find it replaced with despair and hopelessness. Lord, I pray right now that you would just fill that despair with hope. God, that you would renew dreams, give new dreams and new visions. Not just just even resurrect the old ones. God, I pray for new ones in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for healing where they're not even expecting it in Jesus' name, where they're not even asking for it in Jesus' name because that's been long gone and now it's just a part of normal. Lord, I pray for a new normal in people's lives today. Lord, I I pray, God, that you would work do what only you can do, even though we're not even asking you or expecting it. You are the Lord of the unexpected. So Jesus, I pray as we sing this last song that you would just come in the midst of us, that you would be walking in amongst us in the rows and between us, Lord, and just touching those areas of our life that we so desperately need to know that we know that we know that you are the one who is to come and that we don't need to look for anyone else. So Jesus, as we sing, you'd walk in in and amongst us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Good news of great joy. When all you see is your today, listen to what God says about your tomorrow. Father, we thank you that you're rewriting some of our stories today. We thank you, like as one preacher said, Lord, that our history is to become your story, his story. He can rewrite even your history. Father, I thank you that your word says that Sarah, Abraham's wife, was a great woman of faith. Interestingly enough, that's not exactly what I read in my Bible in the back. But God has a way of rewriting our histories. So, Father, for our tomorrow, we give you praise. We thank you for what you've done yesterday. We thank you for what you're doing right now in this moment. And we look forward with great expectation to the fact that you still our king tomorrow. Amen? Good news of great joy. Say great joy. Have a great Sunday.